Namaste and in luck catch and welcome to this edition of One World and New World. I'm your host Zen Benefiel and this week we've got a very special guest that has just an amazing background and, and deep understanding of the science and the spiritual side of technology in using it for our health. Um, she is the CEO and founder of Tesla Vision Corporation um, that is out of Canada. She works with voice spectral analysis technology disruption and with a computer, uh, pardon me, with a community impact driven ventures. Now she's in, has worked with cloud computing, cloud applications. Uh, she's been a CTO of technology. She's worked with voice spectral analysis, alternative medical diagnostics, industrial hygiene, and she speaks a lot about machine learning, quantum computing, social innovation, and as well as voice spectral analysis and alternative medical diagnosis. Jenny, glad to have you here. You've had <laughs> such a great introduction so far. Um, th th this feels almost um, like a letdown. However, you're phenomenal. <laughs> glad to have you here. We're going to have a phenomenal con conversation. Right. Well, thank you so much for having me today. I really appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're very welcome. So traditionally, we start with looking into your youth and <laughs> how you first began to have this understanding of how interconnected things are. Now, whether it appeared as an inner voice, an understanding, um, whatever, right? It, it gives us this notion that there's something more. And oftentimes as kids, we don't necessarily know how to do with that, how to deal with that. And other adults around us kind of don't let us develop it over time. And then we revisit it that, uh, or we re revisit, easy for me to say, I've been talking too much. <laughs> we revisited it in our late 40s or mid 40s, if we ever do. Um, so how did this first begin with you as you are quite adept in this understanding? Well, when I was really young, so my great grandmother was a midwife and my on my mother's side and from Trinidad and Tobago. And my grandmother was a midwife and my great grandfather on that same side of the family and grandfather were both Brahmins. And so my aunties and my mother, they were raised in a family with a, a lot of understanding about things that science didn't really explain. And so I've always been happy. Yeah, learned so many different things from them if something like what Einstein would call spooky action at a distance would come about or I'd come across my path I would always have that connection of truth coming from my family because I knew it did exist I just couldn't explain it in science yet and I think that was the driver to a lot of my research moving forward especially in my later years even in my younger years actually well, and sure, it creates with, the with, curious kid, right? Right, and I mean, with when I started my first technology company at the age of 22, it was, I built a real-time indoor environmental monitoring system. So I was capturing the invisible and making it tangible to people on the computer screens. And so essentially, I wanted to find more advanced technology and prove all of these different not just scientists, but I wanted to bring the two together. I wanted to show the, the world in other words. That, right. Show the well, show the world that that 
this energy existed and I wanted to make it visible to them. And I started with environmental contaminants and now I've, I've ventured in after about 15 years of that type of research, understanding the different science and technology behind it and the communication software that's required to improve upon the delivery of that data so that you can capture finer, finer particles of light and over time go into the quantum world. Sure. Uh, Speaking of the, the finer parts of life, though, if we could just kind of roll it back a little bit and, and step into that way back machine for just a little while longer. Sure. <laughs> and so as you were growing and, and being around this really rich environment that provided a lot of deeper understanding that probably most children don't get because of, of where your parents were at and what what a gift. Um, you know, I didn't have any of that growing up and, and I longed for somebody that I could talk to that could share some wisdom with me Right. But in this place that, that you were experiencing and, and the understanding that you were getting, how did you connect with this, um, curiosity that you began to develop on the, the the science and, and the terminology and the experience of it, this as a, a young adult or even a teenager? What, what were the kinds of things that were going on in, in your mind and your heart at the time that prompted you to this go This was a little more scientific, um, a little less spiritual, is how I got into the area of, of, of developing the first indoor environmental monitoring software in the market in Canada. In and around 2004, 2005 is when I finally had the product in the market. So that's when I. Well, what drove you to bring to bring that out? I wanted from to an inner make my sales job easier, and I, ah. I was selling this UV light purification technology to okay. plants, and they kept telling me I was selling snake oil, and I kept telling them it's not snake oil; it's just mathematics and photovoltaics, and not photovoltaics, sorry, photocatalytic reactions. Um, from sunlight naturally occurring titanium dioxide. That's it, you know? And they say, no, you're selling snake oil. But I kept saying, well, listen, UV light purification systems are, are selling it to break down. I mean, here's the one paper that I had that would prove to us, and it proves that it breaks down bacteria, microbials, and viruses in an indoor environment, right? And so here's the science. Here's how it works. Here's a UV light technology. Here's a unique patentable little filter that the people that I was selling this product for had received their patent for is the application of, of a higher concentration of titanium dioxide on their plate that would go across and be facing the UVC bandwidth from the UV light technology. And then I was trying to explain the scientists, or not the scientists, but the plumbers that this is that, you know, this is how it works. And they didn't believe me. So then I thought, how one night, how can I figure out how to sell this to them without, to show them, right? Right. So I started researching. They have to have a direct experience or they're not going to understand it. Right. They didn't understand it. And they kept accusing me of selling snakes or whatever. So right. I found this one type of technology. It didn't exist in the market for indoor environmental via Ethernet, but it did exist in the oil and gas technology, and they used, like for Datalog Technologies, a company actually called Datalog Technologies. Mm -hmm. The founder of that company in Calgary, Alberta, was the one who finally believed in my concept. And he had 
a software that would go down, like drill, they'd drill a hole and then they'd put the cameras and everything. It was real-time delivery of data via satellite, but it would cost 600 US dollars per day per sensor for that data. Hmm. And so that was too much because it was satellite and it was in remote locations and we didn't have nearly the advanced enough technology that we do nowadays to be able to allow for in an indoor environment, nor was anyone convinced at that time that anybody wanted to know what was in the air. But I was, I said, yes, people are going to want to know because there's- We're breathing this stuff, should we know what's really in it? That's right. And not only are we breathing it, but you guys are all buying this UV light purification tech and you're not even 100% sure that there's something in the air to kill. So I'm going to build something to prove to you that there is something in the air in an indoor environment that needs to be brought down. If there's any contamination, right? This UV light purification technology will work. And so I was lent the engineering department of Datalock Technologies, the founder of that company, Ian Underdown. He's a huge innovator. He's so brilliant, this mm-hmm. man. He sold his company four years after. He lent me his hardware, the hardware, like the data acquisition system he lent me. Um, I brought it into an indoor environment. He lent me the engineering department to be able to convert this photo ionization detector that I found from the United States. I was in Canada at the time. He lent me their department to convert it from zero to five BBC to four to 20 milliamp output. And nowadays, I mean, maybe four years later, there's this little electronics, I think, device that you could just plug in and it would convert it for you. But back then it took eight hours. electrical engineering. Oh yeah, when you consider Moore's law. (laughs) Right, that is Moore's law. That's a perfect, that's the example I use for Moore's law all the time. And so that's what I did. Once I built the prototype using existing, my minimum viable product, using existing technology, then I was allowed to install it in Calgary Technologies Inc. building in Calgary, Alberta, which is just off of the University of Calgary's campus, the grounds they have. And so there was no boot camp, any technology centers or accelerators or anything back then. I just had to keep on writing pitches and saying, here, this is what I have. Here's what I built. Will you let me install this? So Calgary Technologies Inc. let me install the prototype that Ian Underdown helped me build from Datalog Tech. And then I bought some whiteboard cleaner. And I had also purchased a little photo ionization detector from the U.S. so they could convert it. We installed it in the HVAC system, used their data acquisition system that was way overkill. They had military cable connectors that were, you know, $25 a piece and you needed 64 of them. There was like an explosion, fireproof, big NEMA enclosure, which was way overkill, right? So by the end of it, I proved its efficacy after the installation brought that system down from about $100,000 down to a $10,000 system cost. Um, and then I brought down the cost of a $600 per sensor for data per day down to $50 per month cost for 64 sensors. And then I even shaved off 45 seconds per real-time data delivery per batch of sensor data because my investors tried to return or tried to give me my prototype when I finally raised some money to build my own software after Ian's help. Um, we raised a couple hundred thousand dollars from a company out of the United States and they helped me build my proprietary software. So that's when I shaved the 45 seconds off as a real-time delivery because 
they were trying to deliver me a product that wasn't true real time. And I said, well, that's not so real time. What I, I, I think I'm hearing you say, and I'm trying to convert this in, into language. language perhaps, is you basically created almost a clean room kind of device that is able to determine or discern um, things in the atmosphere, in the air, that could be detrimental to human health and then effectively remove it. Okay, so... Did, did I cover that or, or did you just the analyzation part of it? You interpreted it correctly based on the first job that I had and how I okay. came up with the invention that would actually clean and scrub the indoor environment and or scrub the air that was going through the HVAC system, mm -hmm. right? Um, but what I just did, I did not create a clean room. What I did was develop the sensing technology and, and full operating system of software on the cloud that would measure a clean room, for example, okay. or not so clean room, and then would let you know your well, any enclosed environment, really. Any enclosed environment. So when I'm thinking of clean room, there are actually clean rooms and laboratories that you have to put these gloves on for operations or to go and handle really delicate materials that can't have any particles touching. The I had to deal with that in the aerospace industry when I was in right. it. Right, so it's that similar kind of thing, that type of clean room. So I did not build a clean room. All I did was build the software and that would be able to communicate to any sensor in the world. Sorry, there's a dog. Yeah, yeah he was there earlier. They're happy to bark off. It's all right, he's, he's just wanted to join in the conversation. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, Don't we all just want to be heard? Right? Yes, I guess so. That's little Benny, right? So, so I built the software. I didn't build it. I sourced the people um, from the United States. Actually, do you mind if we pause for a second? Because I can grab the little dog and just bring him in because he's my mom's dog. So. Oh, all right. Um, do you mind? Or we can keep going. I'm just, I'm let's just, a... let's just enjoy the, the puppy. I mean, you know, if that's a big deal, then oh well. Um, okay. These Thank are you. just conversations and, and you know, we're, right. we're, yes, that's true. Okay. Okay. we're just having a conversation in the back across the sea. Or I'm just having your... a hard time because he has so many tones and it's hard to just well, if it's you bothering you, then yeah, okay. I, I'm having a hard time. All right. I can cut that out. I'm really, really sorry. I just, Benny, if he doesn't get interrupted, he's, he's not a rescue dog, but he's a little, <laughs> he will sit there and bark all evening. He'll stand out there and bark until it is the, 
until his little final last breath. So (laughs) he'll get the last word out of all of the dogs in the neighborhood and then every single dog will continue barking. And I'm sorry I had to interrupt. He's a little instigator. Okay, so picking it up from where we were. So in this um, indoor environment, you're able to assess the particulates that are in the air and, and which can be damaging. And then there's... And, and that's basically what you're able to do. It is yeah, to, to it could be analyze a what's there. That's now, right. Analyze and send an alarm on in real time um, to a phone that is rampant now in technology, but it was not available in back in those days. And we were actually 2004 and 2005. So I brought the first one to market to be able to just plug into the Ethernet instead of communicating via satellite. And then it would be able to read the data from any sensor in the world and communicate it via the cloud to a smart device, whether it be a um, Apple or Android, a Blackberry or PC, any smartphone. And then it would send an alarm the moment that there was an overexposure. So you could just set the different exposure. So I didn't code myself, but I proved it's at efficacy. I found existing technologies. I worked with the engineering departments to find uh, the best and fastest solution. And then when I was finally able to build my own proprietary software, then I guided source of software developers, well, raise the money, source the software developers. And then I found the, a way to be able to improve upon the speed of delivery of data for indoor environmental threats. But it could work not just indoors. It was mostly for outdoors, but generally dilution is a solution to pollution. So you wouldn't really measure anything outdoors. Love that. Dilution is a solution to pollution. Yes, that's um, right. <laughs> yeah. So. I hadn't heard that phrase before. That's really cool. Now, with this, you took it to a, a, a new level in your development in, in the healthcare system. Yes. Yeah, so I have not so, brought that to market. I was, I've been... I folded everything I've worked for to go into the jungle to advance voice spectral analysis software. But even when I got finally made it to the jungle in 2013, I had By the jungle, that. you really went into the jungle I in Brazil. Really so let's get, you went into the rainforest. Close to it. So I drove, I flew into Brasilia. I raised a little bit of money, got all of my camping gear, rented a car, purchased some little mind wave headsets that could read the brainwave activity of the shamans. I wanted to go and research shamanic drumming. They're mm. the most ancient drumming in the history of all drums and they use quantum mechanics and they, they, they use different thicknesses of their drums and they would have geometric patterns on them. And sure. so it's like these shamans would be able to see the bioenergy of the individuals. They, they'd see which meridian line through ancestors over time, over generations, taking different Amazonian medicines, for example, it just opens up their third eye permanently. I mean, they're geniuses in that area. There's similar devices. Uh, I knew an African drummer that uh, shaman who played the lead talking drum for a band called Magic Fashik, and he sold me one of his um, drums, and, and he told me, you know, take care of it like your wife, and, and unfortunately, I'd been divorced, so... And, it was not that great. However, inside of the barrel of the drum, there was spirit marks, is what they call them. And 
very similar to what you're talking about and, and the ancient tradition of drumming was just um it's ubiquitous around the planet wow wow there's I, I would love to learn more about that so they so what these shamans would do is they would see they can see the meridian lines that are out of balance right mm -hmm. and it wasn't until i think um maybe i'm not sure when the doctor introduced a certain dye into somebody's bloodstream they ingested it or injected it it was some radiology or something that it turned their meridian lines a different color so they could capture it on a camera. Hmm. And as soon as I found that sign that somebody, a doctor had actually done that, then I was, that's it. I was sold 100%. I said, if meridian lines are proven to be true, and so that's what the, the shamans would do is they would drum and they would bring those meridian lines back into balance. And if that's how they would heal their patients was through sound, you know? It's and, interesting. And, and this may have something to do with that because we're set up on pulses. Right. Right. All kinds of different well, frequencies. By our biometrics, you mean our energy. Um, we have this little magnetic rift coming out of our ear. That's as unique right. as our Well, and, and we are. Uh, what gives us life is a pulse, a heartbeat. Okay, that heartbeat is also reflected in other areas because we are the expression of the universe in physical form, right? right. We have that those intricate systems that that's as a holistic system that we've barely begun to explore, like with the meridians and the Chinese medicine and, and the marmas, uh, the chakra system, and all of these things that are working. Bioenergy, right, right. and they're working cooperatively within us we just don't realize that we have that much management capacity from our internal place of operation which we're pretty much bereft of we live half inside half outside we're bereft of the inside we're too focused on the outside right we're too focused on the tangible that's right. what a beautiful medicine man said to me one of my friends he said he said jenny you know that 5% of the brain that we, everybody speaks about of, of this in the material world? I said, yeah, I understand what you're saying. He said, we only use 5% about five or six. I said, yeah. He said, well, the other 95% is for magic. He said, basically that is the subconscious. That is the, the bio energy of us. That is everything that is not tangible to us. The, the beauty of our, our bio energy and how some people will bring out, you know, we can have conversations for hours about, everything and then other people will bring out the funny in us right there's certain people right. around that i am a comedian i can tell jokes all night long sure. and make sure. everybody in the room laugh right and then other people will bring out the voice like my sister for example i can sing and harmonize with her but i can't sing and harmonize by myself and so there's something about the bio energy of us or other individuals that when we're connected, we're, we're within 20 feet, I think that ranges, in order to have an effect on somebody bioenergetically? Well, it depends. There, there's um, a process, and, and I was taken through this years ago, uh, it was a demonstration of the size of your aura. And a woman that uh, she was trained in the HUNA way, and she shared that, you know, the past, present, and future, we have different auras, size of our aura. And to, to demonstrate that, she uses dowsing rods. And what she did was she had me focus in the past and in the future first, close my eyes and things. And she, we were in a 40-foot square room. She started at the other end of the hypotenuse and walked towards me. And then when the 
rods open, she would stop. We would have my, uh, I'd open my eyes, we'd mark the spot, and she went back and did it from a future, mark the spot. Yeah. Was it within inches? And then she picked up a rock and put it in my hand and said, now focus on this. And she barely got two steps in from the other side of the room. So in the past and future, take a wild guess of where it was at. I'll truncate that one. Six feet. Oh. Hmm. And in the present, that energy was almost 50 feet. She barely got, you know. Uh, it she was, used uh, the, the dowsing. Dowsing rods to measure. So. Uh, to measure the different energetic influence of it, it, the electromagnetic uh, charge of the aura, right? right. And right. so, and this was without practice, right? In the present moment, it's just feet foot diameter. Imagine yeah. if you were practiced at being in the moment. I understand. How far would that energy expand? We don't there's, know. There's even um, a study that I read once where there was a healer, and they've done this numerous times, where they've captured and measured the energy coming out of the healer's hand mm -hmm. while they're healing somebody. And it's about 30 seconds to one minute long, and an, an extra radiation that comes out of an individual's hand for during energy healing sessions. So in all of the different, the two different research trips I took to Brazil, it wasn't just, I mean, I went there to, to really refine voice spectral analytics, right? But right. I wanted to do diagnostics because I believed that people weren't ready for the healing component. Well, first of all, they don't believe in it because there's not science behind it. There's not but this technology. I, and med I, I understand. But what I'm saying is the, the mechanism to measure wasn't in place yet but right. this is the thing is it was is gas discharge visualization technologies well i'm talking about back when people used to be you know um tarred and feathered and strung up and oh yes you're right i mean 200 300 years ago even when they started postulating and, and putting all of this type of energy research onto paper you're right but nobody had technology they learned about it through the ancients and through meditation and right captured it and put it onto paper and explained to us and then 20 years later this day and age or 100 years later 200 years later how many know i mean even pythagoras in 495 was it bc no after Christ. it was around that area let's after, say a long time ago let's just say pythagoras i'm not sure if that's 100 percent on bc or ac but yeah. it was a long time ago that even pythagoras was talking about the numbers and the mathematics of, of bioenergy, but just in a different, slightly different language, right? Still English. Pythagoras and Da Vinci really got into yeah. it. And, and then in the late 1800s, there were uh, people like Blavatsky. Um, yeah, Helena Blavatsky and Dr. Royal Reif was one of the geniuses who, who came up with a mathematical like identified the actual frequency, the magnetic signature of every single disease and put a number to it. So because of Dr. Royal Wright, we've got all of the mathematics. Because of Dr. Valerie Hunt from back in those days, she was the one that came up with, proved that um, bioenergy, the existence of bioenergy. And she came up, 
I believe that the algorithm, the Fast Fourier Transform, Transformation or Transform Algorithm, FFT, it's called, um, she came up with that, which is what allowed us to take the biometrics from her ear and match it directly to her voice, which then is what enabled us to build software. Without that algorithm, hmm. couldn't have built It's funny how when we grow the most, is when we're able to hear our own words and process them. Right. Right, because most of the time we talk and we don't pay attention to the words that we say. We're not listening to what's coming out of our mouths. Hmm. And this is one of the things about counseling, right? It's not the counselor offering advice, it's the questions they ask and you being able to hear yourself speak and process because you've got this other ob observer. Right that's listening and giving you feedback. I think it's what happens when I always get accused of talking to myself when I'm amongst other people, when I ask a oh, question. Oh, you do that too, huh? I ask a question to somebody and then I say, oh, and I answer it right away. But it's because the answer just crossed my mind, not because I'm trying to have a conversation with myself. Well, you asked a question, When right? I said it out loud, it was the right question. Then the answer came to me. Oh, silly question. I know the answer. Here's what it is. And then somebody may, it may came, come across as me being a know-it-all, but it's not. I'm, I'm not trying to prove to anybody that I have the answer. I really genuinely didn't know. Well, the it's gravity and innocence of the questioner, right? And the universe is bound. We are told, even from the ancients, that you ask the question, the universe is bound to give you the answer. You've just got to be prepared to get it. Right. Now that's where the work comes in, right? How that's do we it. attenuate our, you know, array to actually listen and, and sense deep enough and, and realize that as we kind of were talking about earlier, that we can't think our way through a system built on vibration. We have to sense our way through it. Well, that also means developing the technology that not just that reflects that we are able to feel this and we can have a mechanical device that actually verifies it as well which acknowledges it to all materialists right and it, it is just the vibration or is there's a gentleman by the name of dale pond who carried on john keely's work mm -hmm. where he made this dinosphere and the dinosphere is this globe that it's the physics of it. He was, I think, one of the few scientists in our day and age that was able to replicate it. And so he's carried on and continued on with John Keeley's work, but he made this dinosphere and it vibrates at a 432 hertz, like our heartbeat, right? Okay. And so I was saying to well, him- tone as well. Right, I was saying, to, yes. I was saying to him, to him once, um, just on one of our uh, Facebook, before I was locked out of Facebook, in our conversations about that, I said, you know, if they could mandate this, um, actually, he's the only one who liked my post. <laughs> if we could mandate a, a little tiny dinosphere to act as the heart of every single robot and spec that into robots, there's no way any robot could turn evil because it's the heart frequency. Mm -hmm. It operates in love, right? It would just prevent any hardware from turning evil. And he said, absolutely. And so he's doing that research on understanding the vibratory physics. He's the one that also has a, a Wikipedia type page, but it's called SWIKI. It's signatory, no, signature vibratory physics. And so he's got all of this collated research 
online that's similar to Wikipedia, but it's called SVIP, Signature Vibratory Physics, SVP. Okay. Is what he called it. And he well, has- I'm sure so some of our audience will be chasing will be that so down real quick. Thrilled to have that access to that information because he's done a lot um, between him and, you know, as, as I mentioned before, Valerie Hunt, who came up with that algorithm and, and there's so many more different scientists I have. I'll send you the document after we can maybe share it with sure. you. And, and what, what I also hear you saying though, is this tremendous unification of efforts, right? The synergy that of people that are doing things. From 200 years. And even in the same time, bringing together their knowledge as though they've all maybe not just channeled it, but I mean, that's how we make books anyways. There was no book before somebody channeled. I mean, it's not a, a, a chicken or egg question. <laughs> it's right. literally what came first, channeling or the book? Well, obviously channeling, because we couldn't have learned about this great science or Albert Einstein was even said to, they say in Brazil that Albert Einstein having kept Helena Blavatsky's book, The Secret Doctrine, on his bedside. Through that book, according to what Brazilians say, which so many have said and told me the story that it's hard to not believe it's true, mm -hmm. um, that he came up with this theory of relativity during astral travel, which I've never astral traveled, but countless people in Brazil have astral traveled. And it's under, they're under the South Atlantic anomaly, the influence of that. So there's a higher range of particles. There's a um, crystal rose quartz bedrock, one of the second largest concentrations of bedrock in the world outside of Russia, which explains why Russia is so, people from Russia are so deeply spiritual. They, they understand that- No, I'm glad you mentioned that because the rest of the world doesn't understand that. And there's been this marginalized um, media that has done the, the narrative to try to destroy that when in actuality that's i mean look at the the progress that's been made in the last 20 years of how putin basically rebuilt a country and the the buildings the environments um, my wife's from and i heard one i'm not to, i'm not i mean it's it's different i don't agree with everything that he's done however Right. I don't believe in taking a side of any constituents. Exactly. I don't believe in supporting the Russians alone or just the people from the Ukraine. I believe every single constituent, they're in an environment where they don't have the power. We're also in a position in North America, well, I'm in Car the Caribbean right now mm -hmm. with my family right now, but they're also in a position where, you know, from my understanding, the United States put some nuclear weapons facing Russia on the border. And I just watched a video of Putin saying not that long ago, he's like, I mean, what would you do? What would you do if all of a sudden some neighboring government came along and just placed some- Yeah, you're saying, please don't do this. There's an agreement not to do it. Please don't do it. I see you're doing it. Please don't do it. And, yes. and there's this call for help from several, pro or at least from two NATO, provinces to begin with. And now there's a war. Right. And here's the thing is, is he said, he gave the example, well, what would you do if all of a sudden you're in Canada and, and somebody from Canada just decided to point their nuclear weapons at Mexico? I mean, or the vice versa, right? I mean, it just, it, it wouldn't work out. 
Nobody would want that happening. So my point is, is that I don't know any of the leaders. I don't know the leader of Russia. I don't know Putin. I don't know the, the leader of the Ukraine. What I do know is that it breaks my heart to pieces to hear anyone pushing out any individual human being because they're Russian or they're Ukrainian. Or but for any reason. You know, this is the, the whole thing behind they our... They the, don't have a choice over the war. We can't, I mean, we can't keep on hurting one another and, and fighting the battles. I mean, I understand sometimes if somebody points a nuclear weapon at you and just leaves it sitting there, and then there's a lot of countries that are going against, like NATO's all ganging up on Russia, and then Russia and the Ukraine, because I've driven across Europe and so close they are, it's a, it, it would be like British Columbia and Canada and Alberta going at war like, come on guys like, really never uh, there's no way i would ever hurt my neighbor in british columbia that doesn't even make sense there's not a day i would ever point a gun at somebody who is british columbian versus albertan no so let's a, let's look at it from a totally different perspective, different perspective. And from a core perspective right in, in just the nature of human beings aren't we really as human beings individually just seeking and giving love isn't that really you know what makes it well, the most we're here to take care of one another we don't but, see and this is all an aspect of that well, we have to love ourselves first before we can love anybody else and we're often well, i don't know if i think people are confused when they say we have to love ourselves first it's confusing because what does that mean exactly I think what it means is that we have to look at ourselves in the mirror, for example, through the eyes of God or our creator, whatever you want to call it, or him or her, right. that energetic being. We have to look at ourselves, love ourselves, or look Embrace at ourselves, ourselves yeah, however we are. And in, however we are, and in the same eyes that we look at somebody else, we love. Because right. if we could not possibly, but anybody who has been able to look at somebody else, another human being, through the eyes of God, through the eyes of love, there's no way they could not see themselves and their reflection in that same manner. We just are forgetting to look. Right. So well, I speak that in at the beginning of each show in the, the introduction, namaste in, in La Ketch. Namaste is a Brahmi Sanskrit phrase, actually. Oh, beautiful. Uh, spoken, it's Brahmi. But it's, it means the divine in me recognizes the divine in you. And in La Ketch is a shortened in La Ketch a la Ken, which is a Mayan phrase that means simply, I am another you. Right. So those kinds of things, ancient That's the same languages. Thing. I am another you. Right. And this you is the whole aspect of loving and being as loved. As a child of God, before you can see any other and every other human being exactly. as a child of God. So that's what it really means, in my opinion, to say you have to love yourself first. But... When, when we hear that phrase, we think, okay, I have to take care of myself. I've got to make sure I have enough money in my bank for... Oh, yeah. It, it goes into that push and pull framework of, of, being confused, of right? prescribed activity that we think or are told is going to make us happy and whole. And what it does is just separates us. Exactly. We're seeing it through the wrong lens. We have to understand that to love yourself first simply means we have to see ourselves as we are through the eyes of God. Just as we see somebody we love very deeply, a child or a mother or a father or 
any of our family members or dear friends. We have to look at them. When we look at those people we love, we have to see ourselves through the same eyes. It's like um, what we see in others is a reflection of ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's along that same pretense, I, I believe, you know? Absolutely. Now, this brings up this um, glaring seeming disparity between the scientist that you are and the philosopher or the spiritualist right and and so there's this i'm sorry science is just philosopher proving well it used to be called philosophy until the 1400s until they decided to, to put a little rule of okay you can be a philosopher just like einstein was a theoretical physicist so he was a philosopher. He's saying, in theory, this would make sense, like everybody so. who's a philosopher is. They're saying, in theory, logically, this sort of makes sense. And then in order to bring it into the world of science, you've got to have a consistent um, final outcome more than once. I think it's 10 times or something. They made well, up a number. Through the scientific time. method and, and your hypothesis right. proven over a period of time with the same things. Now, here's the interesting thing, though we have cordoned off this scientific method in this particular way when there is also that same scientific method for processes right. from a sensitive or sensitivity perspective that we can choose to create these processes or patterns or habits or, or rituals that make us or bring us to a more open position to be more sensitive to these influences that are spanning everything, right? The, the, with energy, as we know, in the quantum world, everything's connected. It's just, that's the way it is. And we don't see that in the physical dimension because we perceive that there's a separation between you and I, and yet we're, you know, and I, I said this to Irvin Laszlo or Dr. Irvin Laszlo, I, I said, you know, do uh, we're 99% energy and 1% physicality. He said, you know, I would say we are 100% energy. And when he said that, it was like, oh, that feels right. Because anything that can be energy. broken down, anything on this planet that can be broken down into a different form is energy. Mm -hmm. So even as we die and our body decays with the help of all of our little living creatures, like the little flies and the little maggots and the little baby flies, it decomposes us. They're the first, they're actually, when I was in this place called Magic Land at Alto Paraiso, this is what I had to do is what <laughs> there is this one big outdoor barrel that had all of these, um, all of the compost, right? Mm -hmm. And there's so many maggots in there. <laughs> yeah. And every time I go there, I just would just freak, get grossed out so big time, right? I'm camping by myself in the jungle. It's great for wound cleaning though. Well, of course, I mean, the ants clean our toilets at night. So I was thinking to myself, meditating on it, sitting next to this barrel, thinking I need to find a way to fall in love even with these little maggots. Otherwise, the jungle's not going to love me very much, you know, and that's just a plain fact. Sure. I need to learn how to love every single one of God's creatures, period. And so I'm sitting next to these, this big, 
big barrel of maggots and all of this food and I, I'm starting and then I did a little bit of research to kind of understand the science of everything. <laughs> so this is how I work <laughs> to try to understand the science. Right. Still got the philosophy, you gotta have the you know the understanding of it too, right? Well you need those little funny little things. Well sure it's proof that gives us the opportunity to fully it's embrace it. Nutrients back into the soil feeds our our trees of the roots. It feeds I mean we get buried, for example, six feet down while the tree's roots will go around seven feet, right? And they did that so that we wouldn't uplift all of these old ancient trees and have them topple over. You can't go as far as the roots or past the roots. It makes sense. But we become part of all of those trees, right? We become, from all of the decomposition, we add, it's like a cycle of, it is a cycle. It's not like a cycle of life. It is a cycle of life. So... We're living just, we're here to die. Once we get here, we're not living to die, but we will die. That's part of the, our next phase. But we, were we really to, you know, there's a school of thought that we have the discipline available that not necessarily we practice it. Right. However, there was a group of scientists that Bayard Spalding led that they went into the Southeast Asia They'd heard of uh, people that were living six to 800 years. And so they went there on an expedition to find out how, right. if it was true, first of all, and then how. And so if these kinds of things, and they found out it was through their way of life there, and we call it spiritual practice, but it's just, it's not, it's a way of life. And in doing that, and if, that, so if they can live six to 800 years with that particular way of life and the practice of it what if we were all able to grow in that way and eventually reach some place of perceived eternality and just being able to move our form around willy-nilly which is some report in some reports um what actually happens in, in others stories like guy ballard and the uh, teachings of the ascended masters and and even Blavatsky and, and some of her work and, and all of the spiritualists allude to this. And yet we've had very few people who've actually shown up and, and done it like Jesus. And right. apparently he wasn't the only one, but I he was the one that got the big. Astro -travel. Really? Well, there there's reckon there are others that in reference to the times in ancient Egypt were similar things, similar patterns, the three-day right. cycle. I mean, it's about and all throughout all of history. I mean, right. I've read so many different papers or heard of people reading about papers and research or ancient scriptures where it talks about astral travel and or the lion's path that all mm -hmm. of the different dimensions that we can go to. I've never done, I, I'm not that advanced spiritually. <laughs> but well, I don't know that it's being adept. It's just being open and and because there are our minds are so powerful that if we don't believe something fully or simply don't know right. can be comfortable with not knowing and exploring possibility like the holographic right? there's no belief system there right if you don't believe it you're probably right well, not you probably don't. you're right whether you believe it or not you're right Right. But that's that's your choice. That's the individual choice that you have made. 
Now there's a you'll get to see the world through in return. Well, what did you find when you were in the jungle with the shamans when you were going through your, your experiences? Did you find there was a place of letting go that opened up doors you never knew were there? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's so many different instances that a one ceremony I experienced with some shamans was um it was there was a flower that was dead that was sitting on top of the grass that was still planted in the ground when I was sitting outside. Mm -hmm. And throughout the entire ceremony, the, the temple was pulsing like a heartbeat. The flower was still alive, even though it was pulled root, the roots were out of the ground and laying on top of the living flowers, right? And so the whole ceremony just taught me that life and death the ceremony was teaching me that there is no difference between a flower who is a living and a flower who has been killed. So life and death is all relative. They're all one and it's all inter interconnected, if you will, just mm -hmm. because the physical, the physical body of that flower has been taken, the roots have been detached from earth, similar to a human being <clears throat> moving on to a different plane or, the, well, the energy is there. It's still just, the energy it just changes force, form, like changes Einstein form. said. That's right. Right. Nothing's ever created or destroyed. It just changes form. And it also taught me also, I, I learned in that ceremony in, you know, even the home that you live in, the everything connects to our energy and stores our energy. So that temple was collectively all of the energy of every human being that's been in that temple. It took on the mm -hmm. energetic imprint of us, right, all at once. So it was pulsing and came to life that that temple, even though it was a piece of, a made from a tree that was killed, right, and turned into a temple because it was made out of wood, it took on the magnetic signature of all of the living beings, including all of the little bugs and the little ants, everything, and the humans all had that structure resonate so and i wonder if that has to do with what we mentioned earlier the the focus of attention intention and interaction was for one specific purpose and that's right. what built that core energy that then was able to be experienced or added to by everyone that showed up is right yes right. every new person and, and that's the same with with us as well, right? As human beings, if we have a, an animal that is with us all of the time, or if we have a um, significant other partner in life and, and our bioenergy will change and adapt to those individuals. And this is the stuff I, I wanted to really understand before I took money from anybody in my next technology venture, because I, I had to raise money and have to still for this technology company, but right. I didn't want to do it until I believed with every mote of my heart that this was a right path to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, I was thwarted by Big Corp. I haven't been able to even move one single Let's step. Let's talk about AI for just a sec, because this is essentially what you're talking about, right? You're well, over using time, the, the computing power of artificial intelligence to process data and give you results. That's and right. And recommend 
Some databases of knowledge sources from the ancients, from Dr. Royal Rife, who isn't considered an ancient. He's just somebody in our immediate history who came up with the formulas for all of the bioenergetic beams, right down from a seed to a microbe to a virus to a single strand of hair from my head to yours, right? There's, mm -hmm. there's this a unique magnetic signature to everything. It's morto, what is it called? Morphogeneticist. No. Oh, you said, yeah, morphogenesis or, or morph morphogenesis. That's um, one of Sheldrake's terms. It's when a lizard can detach its 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 self healing, detach its tail and reattach yep. it, or you can cut a limb off of a lizard and it will regrow its little arm. There is mm -hmm. something to do. There's I'm not sure if that's morphogenesis. That has to do more with uh, morphogenetic fields. Morphogenetic okay. fields. Together we came up with the answer. That is the answer. It's Super. morphogenetic fields. All right. Is what is maybe maybe we're still wrong on the word, but whoever's watching will get the idea. Sure. Whatever lizards can do to grow, like reattach their tail or grow back a limb of their arm. I had a little cute, funny little conversation with one the other day. People sometimes think I'm talking to myself, but I'm not. I'm talking to little spiders. This is what I learned in magic that you have. You can communicate to all of the little creatures that God has created. It's intention, right? Your heart energy. It's a, it's a different way. So instead of thoughts crossing your mind, it crosses your heart, and then you can actually communicate to animals in this manner. If you just get out of your head and go into your heart, and then you end up being on the same vibratory physics. As yeah, it, it's, it, I experience it as a combination of heart and gut. Weird, but it's right weird. because yes. there's that combination of right. Yeah, and in like in the indigenous wisdom of you know the three brain system, the first being the gut, the second the heart, the third the head, and we process in that way. And as you're talking about the sensitivity of the vibrations, first happens first in the gut. Little the gut brain. first happens first, right? Yeah. So, and and it's been proven now that we have the sensors in the gut to do that, and yes. then. That energy that connects to our brain, right? And the data comes up to the heart. Is it, you know, does it resonate? Does it not resonate? Is it desirable? Is it not desirable? You know, from the Taoist right. point, and then we get the opportunity to make better choices about what to do because we've processed it from a purer place rather than a projective place. Projective meaning coming from our making a choice here, saying, "Oh, it's this," and shoving that down through our body, which is why we have dis-ease. Right, that's what Sherry Edwards calls it as well. Dis-ease is is what she coined that term is for a dis-ease in our bio energy from disruption, essentially not allowing. And it's how we think. It's how we think. But does it all? What is the thoughts we entertain? You know, be well, careful. We should just be interpreting with our brain right? Instead of thinking, we should be interpreting our gut and our heart energy and then allowing the thoughts. And the natural choice, which comes in flow, we were talking earlier about the push and pull of energy. So once that process takes place, then there's this natural flow. Right. That adds. We acquiesce to mm -hmm. that then gives us this ineffable joy. I wish I could feel that all the time and never feel sadness again. <laughs> well, it's tough day, maybe. However, it's that 
exterior push and pull that we can see going on that then we have to learn how to navigate inside because whatever is outside is what's going on inside of us whether we want to recognize it or not right. doesn't make it not true right and this is what's being demonstrated by the current site you know even what was in Los Alamos in the 50s, they realized that the scientists observing the experiment actually had an effect on it. Right. That was Albert Einstein and the observation effect. Yep. That he took a bunch of different scientists, plugged them into different rooms where they were away from each other in controlled environments. And just as we had said earlier, if you believe it to be true, it probably is true. So the experiments resulted in becoming true or false based on what the scientists thought about it. And I that's think that's where confirmation bias started. That's where like the understanding of what we can actually take sensors nowadays and measure them with the D phonons as a brain entrainment. It's a smaller particle of light that our brain communicates to one another that probably can measure telepathy, I believe. Mm -hmm. But D phonons is where real brain entrainment comes about, which is meaning also means that real true healing can come about in that small particle of a light, right? Um, so there's a phonon, photon, phonon, and then the D phonon. Yeah, there's all kinds of... And, and but it gets smaller and smaller. There's peons even. Right, and there's even, no, there's even a muon, but that's a new... There's a new one, but there's, there's one that's called the peon too. I, 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 I think about that the other day, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, um, we're all just little peons, Yuan, aren't we? Muon <laughs> has like 200 times the electric potential, is an, or the, the potential of power that an electron has. Up to 200 times its potential for power, a muon. Because it's smaller, it's like putting little bits of sand into a jar versus a bunch of rocks. You're going to get a lot more sand in that jar than you will the rocks like you right. would have right. um, making technology or, or or creating different types of technology and devices with a focus on, on muons versus creating technology and, and feedback devices from electrons right mm -hmm. we've got electricity pretty soon maybe we'll have muon electricity well i wonder if that also is part of what tesla's discoveries uh, we're about we've just been able to analyze a little more to to break it down and, and it's so uh, i don't know discouraging sometimes that we use destructive testing in order to figure stuff out rather than the opposite it right? is disturbing. Yeah. Um, and i think once maybe when we start looking at you know how do we look at things and explore them and ask questions about them without having to rip them apart kind of like the uh, the God particle, or particle, I almost said God participle. Spirit molecule, the God particle. Yeah, well, I, I read a book called The God Participle, right? And, uh, which is being. And however, in that process, I was looking at the discovery of the Higgs boson and what they, what the scientists saw was the decay, what they called the decay of a particle, because there was no actual particle that they saw. And so they interpreted that there was a particle because they saw this decay in the data that they had, or at least that's how they read the data, that there was decay. Now, I wondered if you're rubbing or 
ramming subatomic particles together at near light speed, it's going to cause an explosion at a subatomic level, which could rip the fabric between dimensions, even though they don't know that those that fabric exists. And what they saw as the decay might have been self-reparation. So you mean it could have just traveled into a different dimension and like no, that's a blood-brain barrier, right? It's similar, but what I'm thinking, it, it, and I don't know, but it just makes sense that if you're going to have an explosion, it, it may rip a hole in something you're unintended, unintending to. I don't know. Oh, and right. will that it hole be, then, because of its nature, self-repair? I'm sorry, you, you were saying something? Sorry, I was just affirming what you say. It could rip a hole if it was a man-made process or a woman-made or person-made where the energy... Well, here you so got a machine ramming two protons together. Time space. Right. But if it was a natural process, it'd be more like a blood-brain barrier where it just naturally can migrate through that barrier, right? From Absolutely. To the next. But because it's man-made, we need to find another word, human-made, that it would burst through and possibly tear a hole through time and space but people i think are getting confused with it tearing a hole through time and space because they think it's not actually tangible or visible but it really actually is well it's, this is one of the things that we were talking about the federation earlier yeah energetically right absolutely just like the ozone layer There's i get so excited I, I i tend and i apologize i kind of talk over you from that's uh, okay am i right though about it's kind of like the ozone yes. there the hole in the ozone layer it's a similar type of way of thinking about the different dimensions and absolutely of space and time that can well right. you know it's hard for us because we're linear beings most of the for the most part, you know, there's a group called the Octopus Movement that's about nonlinear thinkers that are just, you know, Octopus. really cool. And then there's non-local, right? We get, it's like you asked a question and you got the answer. Where'd that come from? You don't know. It came from nothingness, right. which is a non-local aspect of intelligence. It's like this pool. Non-locality, right. there's even a formula for it. So there you go. How do we better utilize this understanding in order to get us to a place where we're working together collaboratively and helping each other rather than like you were talking about the, the corporate snafus that kept getting in the way for your... They still, I mean, they're, they're getting in the way of every every type of progress any type of accumulation of even well they don't know what it's going to happen I mean, again and i'm saying this because it's it may be possible but from a human standpoint we're afraid of what we don't know the first thing we do if something unknown appears is we get frightened by it and we want to react to it for the most part and and the, right. it, it, real discipline to not be affected by like um, getting hit with the uh, freight train of energy, right? And you're getting hit with that energy right away, you're gonna feel like it's negative because you're feeling like it's pushing up against you instead of just taking a breath, being okay and letting it pass through, right? It's that, oh my God, 
that we clench our body, which closes the energy pathways through it. And so that energy gets lodged in the body and it comes out as fear. Right. Misdirected energy. It gets redirected. It's, it's your, your fear will stop it. And depending on where it's traveling in your body, it stops it and then goes shooting out at a different meridian line. Yeah, yeah. So what do we do when we have that fear? Where you're coming from? Well, we prove that those exist. There's a lot of doors slamming outside, for example. It's kind of like that. It's like the door slamming. Exactly. What a perfect metaphor. A meridian line getting. Yeah, you either slam it or open it. Right. Yeah. What does fear do? Slams the door. That's right. What do we do as a result of the fear? How do we behave? What do we try to do? Unfortunately. What's that? I said, unfortunately, most of us react to the fear of another person, which is what brings about war. We want to control. I mean, on a bigger scale. I mean, Absolutely. Talking about, you know, Putin, for example, was afraid. So he's like, stop it, you guys, stop it. And then they didn't stop it. So then he started the war. But really, did he start the war? I don't know if he was afraid or just trying to protect people that were actually Russians to begin with. Right. I mean, these are all Russian-speaking people for the most part. You know, they did the, yeah, they have a lot of advanced research on on bioenergy. And the Soviet Union had ample research in fact when there was next to nothing out from universities 10 years ago when i began or 15 years ago 2008 when i started really digging into homeopathy and trying to understand the magnetic signature because there's this gentleman that came to me these people in calgary they wanted wanted me to be their cto mm-hmm. for this company that was bringing to market this um, product called sacred water and so you could take the magnetic signature using homeopathy techniques and that would be mirroring different plants and herbs and such into water until finally it came about where there was only the magnetic signature left no herbs yeah, like what was his name emoto musaro no this is different from dr emoto's work but it's a similar that's that's why i say it's similar to that similar to yes precisely precisely and so but what this guy would do is he took took this copper stilo a copper pen and he would charge the the formula of the homeopathic remedy so the homeopathy based homeopathic remedy so the homeopathic then you take the do the mirroring effect which would create the magnetic signature and convert the water like dr emoto said into that formula then if he took the copper stilo and charged it magnetically with that water then all of a sudden this copper stilo now this is in 2008 could turn any drinking water into that formula and i didn't believe it until he took gave it changed the signature of my water to pollen and created an allergic reaction in my throat he didn't tell me it was pollen i drank the water and my throat started itchy so what was in here and he said this this and pollen i said get out of here i'm allergic to pollen and that's what convinced me and that's when i started doing the research and then next thing you know maybe well, around 2012 is when I decided, okay, I'm done with indoor environmental health. The government came out with some standards. Finally, the government of Canada. So I started this in 2002, the technology. 
Mm-hmm. Then in 2008 or 9, they finally came out with standards in Canada and set up guidelines for indoor environmental health. But what they did was they made the standards make it so that it was one sensor reading per 10,000 square feet was acceptable for indoor environmental health readings to prove the indoor was safe for people. And I said, no, it isn't. That doesn't even make sense because only one sensor at the time, technologically speaking, could only go 2,500 square feet. You need a minimum of four sensors per 10,000 square feet. If there are no obstructions in airflow, so if there are no walls or rooms, and there is like an airflow HVAC system that would be able to distribute the air accordingly. So there are a number of different factors. It could be four to six to eight, depending on the infrastructure, right? So they turned like 10 years of research into a joke, essentially. And so that's why I decided to fold the indoor environmental health and go more so into the alternative medical diagnostics with a focus on voice spectral analytics because the mathematics makes sense to me. Sure. And it sounds like it may have more of a profound effect on humanity as well. Yeah, it would, absolutely. Individual specific rather than... Well, vibratory physics, the, the understanding of bioenergy, we can, we can cure disease. We can cure brain disorders. We can, there was a, a paper that was just published. I had a conversation with somebody on LinkedIn about this, where somebody who was paralyzed, they now were able to walk after four months of therapy using light and frequency-based technologies. So having the frequency and the sound combined with the actual bandwidth of light that was specific to, I'm not sure exactly which bandwidth they used, but they chose a certain bandwidth. Need some more doors on. Um, so <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Must be the little puppies going in and out or something. Mm-hmm. Having to go to that. Pardon me. Friendlies. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt that. Oh, don't be there. They're all friendlies, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so they had to, um, this type of light-based and frequency technology made it after four months of treatments. We'll have to share this article with everyone. It made it so the person can walk again. And I knew that since 2008, I understood and, and fully grasped that that was a potential for the future is that if you match the magnetic sig- signature of an individual based on Cherry Edwards' work and the previous 200 years of research and the papers that have been released and the Mir station, the Mir Russian space station used this type of biofeedback technology for the cosmonauts in the 80s. I mean, this technology and science has been around for so many decades. I know, it's just been so public. So it just doesn't make sense why I'm being crushed just for the knowledge of this until I realized the people, a second degree connection of certain individuals like, you know, like the Gates Foundation, mm-hmm. who I was indirectly connected to by one degree. You know, my friends were partners with him. He was in a breakfast cafe in 2015, right? I'm not saying that it was him 100%, but I mean, if it looks like a duck, it's probably a duck. Respectfully. Right. Yeah. With the duct tape reference, they keep telling me snitches get their bones broken <laughs> they keep wanting to tape my mouth up with duct tape it's even i know it's duct tape but yeah regardless, oh, it's funny and it's very funny but it's like uh, funny or die situation right where i keep on getting thwarted 
I, I, I'm not allowed, they won't allow me to make my own income. They won't allow me any revenue streams now. A girl who's been working since she was 11 years old because I wanted an allowance is not allowed to work and make money. I have applied for jobs and tried because I've always bootstrapped my technology. I mean, I've never been given anything, right? Is so, it possible that, okay, so you're looking at it as you're being impeded. Is yeah. it possible by it? The material world is it possible that <clears throat> there's some additional work that you need to do in order to be fully prepared and the universe is just kind of saying hey you want to hang on for just sold the software in 2021 for 19 billion dollars so i think that's why i'm being targeted i have a reason to believe that 19 billion dollar sale would target anyone and i have some really advanced designs for quantum neural networks and stuff and a way to improve upon the software designs to make it even more true real-time communication based on my past 20 years of experience. And well, hopefully the exposure to our audience will help that along in the, the exposure. And uh, so, but you're right. There is a part of me that, yes, I know I can develop it, build it better. I know without question, I can build it more advanced in about five more years, especially. I don't believe we've got the quantum computer quite pinned down properly yet we're using all of these universal computers quantum computers right. we've got a neuromorphic computer we've got these photonic sensors and, and these photon like based quantum computers there's so many different theoretical well, quantum computers we're trying sense. to make their computer the next main thing that right. goes on everyone's desktop but in my opinion they're not doing it right and the reason what i mean by that is a, you have to, if you're working with lights and energy, you have to design a computer in the same way that they, that, that our body and bioenergy works. So in the same way that our brain works, which is neuromorphic computing, okay? But right. that's not one of the main computers yet. That is a computer of quantum nature that is in the market right now, but it certainly isn't a $5,000 computer that's sure. going to everyone's desktop in this day and age. I believe also... I mean, I think the universe has brought these people into my life so they can have their, their big sales. I mean, like I say, it's not the fact that they've taken the concepts or that I was forced to abandon my hardware when I was in London on a community impact scholarship in 2019 in Russell Square. It wasn't that I was, I ended up, oh, I actually abandoned my luggage and my computer and, and everything to save my own life when I was in Sarah's friends running from London from these clowns. Hmm. I think I probably was like the universe probably sent them my way, if that's what you're asking. Because I don't think technologically speaking, we're capable of building what I know I'm capable of building yet. Yet. And I I know I, I can build it. The, the, the technology isn't there, just like yeah. the technology wasn't there in 2002 when I was thinking I wanted to build some software and get some sensors that can prevent people from being harmed from chemical and biological warfare. Well, we didn't have the technology yet going to Moore's law. I think we're at the beginning of quantum physics and the technology and all of the sensors and the quantum computers. And to be quite frank, there are too many uncertainties with quantum software yet. We've only the last two years. Right, I mean, there's D-Wave technologies. And we've got... Um, well, the I carbon strings that have been used, that's only been, what, two, three years now, or maybe five at the most? 
Of which one, sorry? Carbon strings that have oh. been th those, the nano strings, I guess, or I, I'm not. Nanotubes, you mean? No, they've been around for years from Buckyballs. Buck Minister Fuller was the inventor of the Buckyballs. Right. And a long time around, around the day and age of Clinton's, he worked with, he was in that era because I met a woman who was a business coach who wrote this book, The Wizard of Us, and she coached the Clintons and Buck Minister Fuller. And mm. he invented Bucky Balls, Bucky Balls, which are the individual soccer-shaped magnetic in nature balls that make up a carbon nanotube. That right. is That's what I was trying to the carbon nanotube. Thank you. So I licensed my software to a company out of the United States. Um, I'll have to ask my investors, Arizona Bay, back in those days, which company that was. I didn't see any profits from it. Seem to never see profits from things that people are benefiting from my technology, I might add. It being thwarted, not by them necessarily. I mean, Arizona Bay is an amazing company, but there are people who are very powerful within those groups and within those circles whom I know and have met and have heard about and know what I have built who have participated, I have reason to believe, in stopping my efforts and moving forward. I believe it's because they want to take credit for it, but universally speaking, like the energy and why they came to me and why this all had to happen could be simply because we're not quite advanced the technology yet to build. And it's all a process, as we were talking earlier, right? That the, all of these things have a scope and a sequence and a process. Right. And like, you know, when I had my awakening at, at 18, here it is 47 years later, and I'm finally in a position where I can even begin to attempt to fulfill the mission orders I was given. Right. Right. That's a. But it doesn't mean that I can stand back and just sit back and comfortably let go of what these people are doing and the terrible, terrible. What do you think your focus of attention would need to be? Because it seems to me like well, you're. I need to stop them from cyber hacking me. I right. need to stop them from preventing me from putting any application to get any any form of revenue. I need to stop them from the moment I start speaking out to somebody, they send people into my direct environment and to poison and, and gaslight like my sure. efforts and. Sure and create deep fakes about me. Well, knowing what you do about consciousness and the, uh, I believe we could agree on the axiom of what you resist persists, could we? And yeah. how might that be fitting into the scenario in ways that you might not be recognizing? Being well, the only thing I can think of is what I'm resisting will persist is I don't want to obey some human beings. That's fine. That's a choice you make. I'm That's resisting better. that. And because I'm resisting them, they're trying to put me into a different type of box. Like, you know, she belongs, her face belongs at the front desk, or maybe mm -hmm. she should go into podcasts and just leave the voice spectral analytics, artificial intelligence driven software for the big boys club. Well, Sorry, boys, but I invented it. And that's my intellectual property you're using and claiming as your own. So it's their egos that mm -hmm. is disallowing me to move forward because they wish to take credit for my work. And I know it. I understand I, I how tough that is. My work, right? I, I'm, I'm openly saying that I've taken all of the ancient knowledge that exists in the scriptures and I've 
taking bits of the past 200 years of research and pulling it together and then taking brand new technology in the quantum realm, realm in the classical to quantum conversion software, different types of techniques and, and programs that are out there now and redesigning the ancient into the future and then trying to bring that into the market so we can have a better understanding even of how our thoughts affect one another. Right. Even looking at somebody in the elevator in a disapproving way energetically will affect them, right? It's like what Dr. Emoto did as right. well, I guess. Well, this is why I'm wondering, and, and I don't know, I'm just asking questions because they're coming up. And knowing what I do, knowing what you do, a lot of times in having these kind of conversations where we can dive a little deeper and explore possibilities and just kind of flush things out, not necessarily that we're wanting to come to any decisions over it, but just points of consideration, right? I mean, I just why don't understand why our world can't just come together. I mean, why, why would somebody pay so much money to go through an effort to stop an individual from progressing in any area of their lives when they really could have just thrown me 1%? I'm just saying that to be like just a giving a number. I mean, it would have cost a lot less for them it would have made their heart energy so much better, so much happier. Right. If they would have just said, hey, Jenny, or hey, kid. Yes, but in the meantime, sense. they're showing how important this really is. And that's the evidence right. that, yes. of that. So I'm, you know. That is a silver lining. That's definitely my silver lining that I found in all of this is that I really sacrificed a lot over it, especially the past 10 years. Sure. To prove this technology was right for me so that I could truly, with my heart, speak to people with way more money than I have and tell them this is the right path. So that's that I want them to help me build sure. it. Right. And I couldn't do that unless I knew infallibly that it was the right type of software, the right technology that could change all of humanity. Once we understand how to diagnose, we can change the healthcare system entirely. 80% of being a good doctor is knowing how to diagnose. Well, we can do that in less than a minute with mm -hmm. technology, with voice spectral analytics now, mm -hmm. right? And and not only that is, is to understand, is to transform what is. So once we understand what the disease of that individual is or what there, as you said, dis-ease is, then we can treat them. Once we understand that when they come into a doctor's office that everybody goes into a doctor's office and buys like I didn't have any alcohol this week <laughs> or I didn't you know what I mean or yeah. I did not eat any Kentucky fried chicken you know I don't eat fried chicken if you're supposed to be on a, a diabetic diet or something then you need to stretch the truth or even with a personal trainer you don't want to tell them that you had a cheat day when you shouldn't have had a cheat day because you just don't want to deal with it this is what I learned in my career I used to be a trainer I found this happening all the time, even going into that doctorate program that was mentioned. One of the biggest things I've caught myself when I was younger, not wanting to tell the doctor that maybe I smoked a marijuana cigarette, you know, <laughs> right? Because I didn't want to admit to it. And right. I mean, this software would change that and it would truly help people because the doctor wouldn't do any guessing work. The doctor wouldn't have to discern Imagine that, dealing with the truth. Oh my gosh. It is the truth. It's the truth. It's even the most advanced lie detector on the planet for spectral analytic software can be used as. And maybe that's the point. And maybe that's why people didn't want a girl who they called the diary of nobody. I have a friend that would that nobody. was hired to be the uh, fly on the wall, 
basically, but he was in the room at the table. And his job was to determine the authenticity of the words coming out of the people's mouths. And looking for, you know, he was and, that human lie detector. Exactly. And, and, and got Sharon paid Edwards very well for doing so. Right. And she actually has that gift too. And I admire her work quite a bit because she really pushed it. Even MIT, their software they came out with in 2016-17 with a, another research company, a technology company, they used MIT to prove its efficacy. They, they named their company Sunday Health. So they're playing on Sherry Edwards in hopes that they'll take over right, right. a misunderstanding, right? Which is wrong. It's wrong. It's still wrong. And we see this, and, and this is part of how we can move forward by just embracing what is, not necessarily right. getting angry and frustrated and pejorative. Uh, or, but I mean, how do we stop people like this and help them to choose right rather? That's well, we, like we Socrates said, you don't fight the system, you create something new right. that overtakes it. So... And, and this is kind of the point I'm making. When we really understand the nature of energy, and this is opinion, and I, my life is is evidence of it. When we really understand energy and the dance, and learning how to find flow, it's a fearless, vulnerable place that we don't have to protect ourselves from anything or anyone, because those kinds of things don't come near us because of the vibratory level that we've attained by doing so. It's just a physical impossibility for it to happen. Now right. that's a lot, and it's for most people it sounds like a uh, a new age woo woo theory, and but yet it is. It's the, when God comes closer. When I'm in a situation, like for example, I'll give you an example of a real life situation that happened around this time when multiple people have been trying to take my life, right, mm -hmm. by accident. And so there was one bus in Vancouver, BC, a driver with the electrical cord that was connecting, you know, the electrical buses, right? And the guy, the construction worker was doing this, you know, just slowly. And I was walking down the street and I had this cutest little dog named Fearless, Frederick Tyler, his name was. <laughs> and he was so cute and so little at this time. He's like four pounds at the time. Just the cutest, loving, most loving little guy. And there's this guy, I found out his name was Kenny after he came up and talked to me. So we, I hadn't hit the street yet, but he came running up. This guy, Kenny, he lived on the street. He's like, hey, can I go and pet your dog? I said, oh, of course. I'm like, he's so cute, right? So I picked up my little dog, Fearless, and gave him to Kenny. And he's hugging him up and stuff. And we turned together. I said, let's walk across the street and carry him across the street and hug him, right? Mm -hmm. And so we went and walked across the street. As soon as we stepped onto the sidewalk together, the guy went like this, or maybe just before we stepped on, he was paying attention, and then the cord snapped. So it's just vibratory physics where I was almost killed. The cord snapped to the bus, came down, hit the concrete, missed my face by one step. This guy, Kenny, and I, with my little dog, both jumped back onto the sidewalk, and he looked and he said, holy bleep, I just saved your life. And I'm like, holy cow, Kenny, you did just save my life. That's amazing. But it didn't dawn on me that these were staged until there were way too many with the rafting accident and with the different mm -hmm. things and 
things that happened throughout Europe as I was running through my life. It didn't well, maybe it's the universe showing you just how protected you really are. But you're right. I think that is exactly what it okay. is, the way that you understand that you are, I, I am fearless in my pursuits. I will go anywhere in the middle of the night alone mm -hmm. because I do believe God steps in or our creator steps in, whoever that may be, whatever yep. that being, bioenergetic being may look like. I believe neither man nor spirit, but just pure energy, just spirit. Neither man nor woman, sorry, but spirit. Right. In form of an atom and takes on every single bioenergetic being that crosses your path in one form or another. It's just energy that always is transforming, but is everywhere all at once, if that makes sense. It does. So, and it's a wonderful way to kind of bring the show to a close. We've had this awesome conversation. <laughs> I would like to offer uh, Morovan, um, Valentina Morovina's um, dissertation. She's a Ru Russian academician, did a 10-year study on the um, genetic mutation happening in humanity. And it's a bio-spiritual mutation and fascinating. I'll send you the link to it as well. And I'll include it in the, the show notes. Um, on a closing note, through all you've been through and, and with the activity and, and gifts that you know you can offer to the world, as many do and maybe not step up to do so, what kind of advice can you give them to to step up and be fearless and to be in a place where that, that they that you can never run from killer bees so don't run you always have to turn and face them or they will keep coming after you never just be fearless never run from them because we never are given a choice of whether we we don't have a choice of whether we live or die there's always a, a somebody or something that steps in and energetically protects us somehow through an individual. A dog may come and save our lives. You never know, but there's always something that we don't get a choice, right? So there's no point in fearing anyone or anything because we certainly aren't the most advanced beings on this planet. I mean, we're the most unevolved species on our planet. I mean, who knows? It could be just the birds or the beetles who outnumber us by 10,000 who's protecting us collectively because they're listening to a good person's heart energy. I mean, the real jungle would never hurt an individual who is good. Right. A jungle awesome. will, will sing you to your tent when the stars aren't bright enough or your lantern gets blown out and the stars aren't bright enough to guide you through your trail, which happened to me in Alto Paraiso in a beautiful place called Magic Land. The town named Magic Land because of these little things that happen in that are more amplified only because we're not distracted with the technology to disallow us from actually listening. So just to not be afraid and to never run from killer bees and to speak up if there's an injustice and to never let anybody silence you. It happened to me and I'll never let it happen again. And I don't want to fight anyone or destroy anyone. I want to find a way to peacefully come together and work with one another. Live in harmony. Live in harmony. Yeah. Why wouldn't we? That's what we're here for. Exactly. Jenny, this has been a wonderful conversation. And, and uh, wow, is all I can say. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. We both were able to peer into some realms that you travel and, yeah. and have a great conversation about it. And I thank you. You have so many gifts to offer and so much knowledge in this area. I, 
I'll, I'll be looking through every single one of your videos to follow, to hear your insights as well. So thank you so much for this opportunity to even get to know you. It's been beautiful, really wonderful experience. It has, and thank you. Thank you. And right. namaste and in la catch. Thanks for sticking with us through this episode of One World in the New World. I'm your host, Zen Benefield, and I'll see you next time.